OLB, where information is power. Et toi, il est midi, tu dors encore, réveille-toi, n'écoute pas Babylone, il t'a fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple, n'écoute pas Afrique, Afrique Ananga Oyamba, toi cheveux crepus. Toi maïele bo simba ni babige Oya bilanga bo simba ni bakongo Simba ni maboko mouna le kate O Afrika malobate Monsalande Mouindo yangolo Afrika Mobali yamingao Afrika Hatona mosolo Afrika for joining us today on Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people. This is your host, Patricia Loka, joining you with Kambali Musavuli from Chicago. How are you doing today, Kambali? Doing very well. Excited to have another episode. We've been doing it for a few weeks now. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It's a beautiful day today. I had a great drive on my way to uh, Baltimore today, so I had an opportunity to see uh, the clouds. Everything is out. I'm looking forward to maybe a cookout. Uh, what are you doing today? Well, uh, work, 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 work. That's the, the life uh, in the West, right? So I'm still working, uh, reading a lot, um, trying to learn a few concepts that will be helpful for the job that I'm doing right now. So that's what I'll be doing today, um, uh, reading more and studying more to be an efficient worker at my job. Well, hopefully you can get out and I enjoy a little bit of the weather in Chicago. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about what our show is going to be a little bit about today. Um, Keeping Congo Alive, a Congolese journey from the motherland to Europe. Um, this is in connection with the series that we've been doing. Last week we had uh, we were talking about Congolese who are in America. And one of our guests was um, Mr. Kadinga Andimbui, the president of the Congolese community in Chicago. We also had Mr. Kingoli Patrick Chilenge the co-founder of Kimpavita Institute. Um, but yeah. before we get a little bit into that, Kambali, I know you have the news and you're excited. You're always looking forward to sharing the news with what's happening in the Congo. If you can give us a little bit about that. Still trying to keep people connected to what's happening there, to kind of know uh, what is ongoing in the Congo. At uh, the time, the dominant story uh, revolves around, of course, uh, the elections next year. And uh, this week, we had an unfortunate attack uh, to the Goma airport, uh, but the assailant has been arrested. So at least that's the dominant story on the ground. Um, for the, our listeners who have been uh, joining us every week, uh, you probably have heard about the difficulties we're having around the elections. The president of the Congo right now cannot run for a third term in 2016, uh, but he's been using uh, political mani uh, manipulation to be able to run again. He's calling for a national dialogue before uh, the elections. Uh, the opposition leaders in the Congo has, have um, said no to the dialogue, and uh, this has been ongoing for quite some time now. The Catholic Church also uh, has been engaged around the, the situation, calling on the Congolese president to respect uh, the Congolese constitution. And um, the United States also has chimed in, uh, saying the same. Uh, a, an assistant secretary at the State Department, Tom, uh, Mr. Tom, 
Uh, he's actually right now in, in the Congo as well. Uh, moving away from uh, the local dynamics, um, speaking more about the international community, the International Monetary Fund has uh, recommended that the Congolese government raise uh, monies so that uh, they increase taxes so that they can actually uh, raise money to pay for the elections. Uh, we have uh, other stories around um, the Congo, especially here in Massachusetts, about a week or so ago. Uh, Dr. Mukwege, uh, Dennis Mukwege, a Congolese hero, as I usually put it, uh, who uh, has just received a honorary degree at uh, Harvard. He is now a doctor of science. Uh, he is uh, known by uh, being a doctor at a hospital in the Congo called Panzi Hospital. And Panzi Hospital has been a hospital that has helped many of the wounded uh, during the war. Now, for our listeners that should know that Congo has had a war since 1996 that has taken the lives of uh, millions of Congolese. And unfortunately, during the war, uh, the women and children have been the most of the victims, uh, specifically the women that have been um, brutally assaulted uh, with uh, sexual violence. And uh, during those attacks, uh, some of the women have suffered fistula. And uh, Dr. Mukwege has been one of the doctors on the ground who has specialized in healing uh, the women who have suffered from fistula. And he's been uh, honored in Europe. Um, he's been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize uh, three times, lost one. Uh, against uh, Barack Obama when he was nominated to. And this year, he's also nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. So to see that he's getting an honorary degree from Harvard, um, we Congolese, especially myself, uh, look up a lot to Dr. Mukwege. Uh, we thank him at Congo Live for uh, getting this honorary degree, and we hope that he will continue to work uh, to better the Congo, to help the Congolese women, and to always be a role model for all Congolese around the world. And thank you for sharing the news with us, Gambale. We always look forward to you giving us uh, updates on what's going on within the Congolese community and around the world, and as, and as well as Congo. Well, today the topic is Keeping Congo Alive, a Congolese journey from the motherland to Europe. We want our listeners to participate in today's program by calling our number one. 410-481-1010. We want to hear your experience and your questions. And later on, we'll be joined by our special guest, Congolese poet, J.J. Bola, joining us from uh, London in Kambali. If you can share a yeah. little bit about his bio. Yes, I mean, J.J. Bola is an amazing, amazing poet. Uh, I hope some of our listeners can uh, look him up on YouTube uh, to see some of the amazing uh, poetry that he shares with uh, the community in the UK uh, there. He was born in Kinshasa, and he moved to uh, the UK at a very young age. He has actually he has written two books. Uh, his last book is going to be released uh, this month. I'm going to get my ebook copy. I hope you will do the same, uh, Patricia. And uh, he, is, he has performed in many stages, uh, such as SOAS, uh, university and even the University of Oxford, uh, and of course, uh, he's, he's performed in many uh, locations, working alongside with Congolese organization in the UK during the, their fundraising and supporting uh, the story of the Congo. And uh, his poetry has really touched on the humanism, not just of Congolese, 
not just of black people around the world, but of human beings and uh, their experience. So we're very excited uh, to have him join us and share with us how him as a Congolese uh, author, as a Congolese power, uh, poet, he keeps the Congo alive in his work. I know we're excited to have him on the show. He also has a book that's coming out on June 18th. The name of the book is called Words. But for now, let's take a musical break and hear a song by a Congolese group, um, African Jazz. The song is called Mokili Mobimba.
was African jazz singing Mokili Mubimba, inviting the entire world to dance to Congolese music, to know Congo, and to see Congo and to feel Congo. That's what we hope for our listeners as they listen to our show on Congo Live every Saturday. We try to uh, incorporate you guys with what's going on in the Congo and give you feedback of how the Congolese people are and what it is to be Congolese, and not only that, in Congo, but also in America. Kamali, are you still there with us today? Yes, I'm still with you. And I love that song, Mokili Mobimba, uh, because he, as uh, African jazz uh, sings this, they name certain cities in Congo um, where they reminding people uh, to really dance to the Congolese tune. You know, Congolese music is really essential um, on Actually, I shouldn't say essential. I would say that it's, you can find it in many cultures around the world, uh, in Latin America, when you hear some of the music. Mm-hmm. So the call for African jazz of uh, dancing to the Congolese music, dancing to the Tuno African jazz, is really a call to the entire world to really connect with the Congolese people. And it reminds me a lot of my childhood, you know, anytime I hear that song. Absolutely, absolutely. And I wanted to bring in our, our guest for the day uh, by the name of Jojo Bola. Jojo Bola, are you there with us today? Hello, Jojo Bola, are you there? Oh, I think we're having a hard time uh, bringing him in today. But I wanted to talk a little bit more with you, Kambale, as we wait for him to um, connect about the two guests that we had and the differences that Congolese are making within their communities. I found it very interesting uh, speaking to Patrick last week when he had mentioned uh, the Kimpavita Institute and how they teach leadership roles and so forth. And as we're waiting for J.J. Bola to come on, if you can share with us a little bit about what are ways where Congolese around the world can get involved with Kimpavita for those that didn't catch us last week. Yes, I mean, Kimpavita, they definitely cannot check it out at um, uh, institutekimpavinta.org and they have a Facebook page. And uh, that's really where they can get more and more information around the situation, especially for the Congolese, uh, the Congolese community of Chicago. So we should let people know that they're very active in organizing uh, the um, soccer tournament that's actually going to be happening up. And same thing also in the UK. You know, we're having someone from the UK, JJ uh, Bola. There are many organizations in the UK doing fantastic work, such as you know, Save the Congo, Passion for the Motherland, that people can engage in as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what are some things that um, Mr. Mbui had mentioned about what's going on in Chicago? Are you going to be participating in the soccer tournaments? No, I mean, I'm not a soccer player, unfortunately. I love to watch it. Um, the last time I played soccer full-time was probably, uh, I would say, 10 years ago, but I enjoy watching it. Absolutely. And I wanted to remind our listeners to call in at 410 and to follow us on Facebook. Uh, for those that want to find out a little bit more about Congo Live and what we do in the past shows that they may have missed, uh, we want to make sure that you can always go on congolive.org and you'll find us on the show. Um, as we're waiting for J.J. Bola, he's, I think he's having a little bit of difficulty um, calling us. I wanted to talk a little bit more with you, um, Kambale, as we're talking about Americans and Congolese who have come to America. What, what was your journey like coming to America? It was, in, it was interesting. You know, I always uh, think about coming to America. Uh, kind of funny. The funny part is my first job was McDonald's. <laughs> it wasn't McDo- McDonald's, but it was McDonald's. Um, <laughs> 
And it was a pure coincidence, but just uh, remembering that journey of uh, how I even got the job, um, I didn't even speak the language. Uh, but being the space where everyone spoke English, you know, it helped me under, in catching up with uh, my English very fast. And then uh, start understanding the, the importance of uh, keeping my roots, you know, because um, I knew I was Congolese. Uh, uh, living in this country, I started understanding more what it meant to be an African. Um, and then what does it mean also to be a black person in this world? So that experience of working and even going to school helped me in coping um, much easily. Uh, some people have had a hard time, but I've enjoyed my um, coming to America moment. Did you speak English when you first came to America? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you well. Were you speaking English when you first came to America? <laughs> so I would take that as a no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not speak English. Um, I learned English while I was here. Uh, I spoke French and I spoke uh, local Congolese language. What I was just saying there was uh, I'm, I'm Congolese, no. Uh, and I said it in Lingala. Lingala is one of the languages spoken in the capital city of Kinshasa. Oh, absolutely. And I think we do have uh, JJ Bola who's on the line with us. JJ, are you there? Hey. Oh, Hello. welcome, welcome. We had a little difficulty uh, bringing you on. Welcome to our show, Congo Live. We're happy to have you on. And I wanted Thank to... you for having me. I'm excited to be on it. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you been catching our past shows, or is this the first one? Um, this, is, this is actually the, the first show. So this is going to give you a reason to listen to the other ones. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Great cause. Uh, we were just listening to a song by African jazz called Mokili Mobimba, and they were talking about the Congolese music, and um, they wanted the world to dance to Congolese music and to see Congolese music and to feel it and to, for it to be a part of them. And uh, thinking of the work that you do as a poet, what are ways that you invite Congolese in the work that you do in the world? Mm, well, in terms of uh, the work that I do, and the poetry that I write, much of it is centered around the Congolese experience. Now, a lot of people often know about Congo through the narrative of war, conflict, and rape. But I try to focus my poetry on humanizing the experience so that it's not just reduced to statistics of how many people have died, but also these are people who have lived. So as much as possible, I try to kind of like add color to the situation and make people aware that there is much more going on than just war. And that's not how we should reduce the narrative. Mm, absolutely. That's very touching. I know um, recently I had a chance to look to actually listen to a poetry that you did. Um, and it was talking about the name of the poetry, I believe, is Tell Them They Have Names. Uh, mm -hmm. What led you to do that poetry? Is that in connection to what the core of what you're doing is? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wrote that piece, Tell Them, after the um, terrorist attacks in Garissa. Mm -hmm. And if we compare the international reaction to that attack compared to, uh, for instance, the, the, the Charlie Hebdo killings, you know, in the Charlie Hebdo killings, international community came out people people and politicians marched on the streets and showed solidarity mm. but shortly a while after that same 
solidarity wasn't shown for the Kenyan people, and it's a consistent theme. It's it, the same solidarity isn't shown for those who are killed in conflict in Congo, whether it's Congo, whether it's South Sudan, whether it's Nigeria. People really kind of, it, it, it's an aspect of dehumanization as well. So I wrote that poem on two parts. And one part to remind people that in within these situations of conflict, that there are people who have memories, who have families, who have loved ones, who are known for something other than just being a victim of a brutal crime. And also for us who are connected to that story, that every time someone tries to reduce the narrative to whether it's just war or rape, for us to then tell them, you know, that we are much more than just this. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know beyond poetry, you also have a new book that's coming up, and the name of the book is called Words. Uh, why that title? Yes. Um, right, so that title is actually part of a larger title, mm-hmm. which I can't reveal yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the last word of a, of a larger title. You won't but even give Congo Live a hint? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I can give you a hint. Okay. Um, so I guess the hint would be that, regard particularly in circumstances of oppression, of conflict, of war, you know, you can have resources looted, you can have brutal, violent oppression, but your word is something that no one can ever take away from you. Absolutely. And when is this book getting released? Um, so it's uh, being released on June the 18th. We're having a launch party. I'm definitely so interested in uh, purchasing a book myself. And if I do want to purchase a book, where can our listeners go to to get a copy of this book? So um, you can visit my website, jjbola.com. But it's also going to be available online via mainstream distributors, so uh, Amazon and so forth. That's good, that's good. So I have uh, some interesting question for you. You know, uh, the reason for me, uh, for being in the United States, you know, I came in as a refugee in 1996. Um, So our family was forced to leave the country, and Congolese leave uh, their home for many reasons. We ended up here uh, in the United States. And I see you ended up in the, in the UK. You know, why did you leave the Congo, and uh, how was that experience for you? And uh, if you, you even left with uh, your family members as well. So um, I left with my family, my um, mother and father, and my brothers. But we also left a lot of family behind. We came to London, um, the UK, in 1992. And so I was I was six years old at the time, and it was a difficult it was difficult to understand because your parents try to protect you. Obviously, the narrative of conflict and war is really it's a difficult story to tell, particularly to explain to, to a young child or to children. And as much as possible, parents want to protect their child so they have a normalized upbringing. So for a long time, I wasn't aware of the heightened political situation that we grew up in 
always knew there was something different about our experience. My parents would often remind us of home. And we, we were made aware of all the great stories and we saw pictures. So we knew that we were connected to something much greater than just where we lived or where we had arrived to. But it was really difficult connecting the two. So for a long time, especially growing up, I didn't know a lot about our history. I didn't know a lot about our culture until I began to really investigate independently. And then um, I have only returned back for the first time last year, which is after 21 years. Mm. So it's, 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 it's quite a powerful moving experience. Uh, speaking of how your parents did things within the household to remind you of home, how did that influence the choices that you made coming into a new world, um, separating you from everybody? Let's say, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly where you first ended, I'm, or if you mentioned that, but what made you different from the crowd that was around you in the way that you made decisions? Um, so my, my parents... Well, firstly, in the house, we always spoke Lingala. My my parents emphasized speaking Lingala at home and being able to. So as much as possible, we always spoke in Lingala with our parents. You know, very rarely would I reply to my mom or dad in English or French. That just didn't happen. It was in Lingala. A lot of the food that we ate as well, um, with traditional Congolese food, the music that we listened to, um, and the videos that we watched, I remember sneaking my dad's cassette tapes of uh, OK Jazz, which was his favorite favorite band, mm-hmm. and I would listen to them and just kind of like hear the music and be connected to another world. Uh, and that really like centered us in regards to our culture. It let us know that in comparison to the other kids in our area, this is what we were connected to. So that really set us strong foundation for us. So growing up, even though a lot of uh, other kids were maybe embarrassed about where they came from or tried to deny it, we as much as possible tried to, we felt proud about where we came from. And we connected ourselves to that culture because we knew we had family there. You know, we spoke to family members back home every week or every month. And so that connection was maintained. And for me, I think that was the strongest thing, that cultural connection is what bound us. So by the time I became an adult, I felt more kind of compelled to form my own identity and be connected to my roots. Absolutely. I know for me, I can share a lot of those uh, same experiences. And I want to hear a little bit more after this short break about your trip back to the Congo and going back home. Mm -hmm. But before we do, I want to take a short break and listen to Mabimbo by Zaiko Langalanga. And uh, we'll be right back. Uh, Brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
Mobimbo by Zaiko Langalanga and in the song they talk about a trip isn't a death sentence we'll go back regardless and speaking of uh, going back we have our special guest JJ Mbolas sharing with us his experience of how he came from the Congo and how his transition was coming into a new world and to go a little bit back into our conversation I wanted to ask you about your trip in Congo how was it? It was amazing. Um, for me, it was a, a really a, an opportunity, a trip that centered me it, and expanded my beliefs, my understanding by so much. You know, much of my knowledge about Congo was formed through stories, through books, through music. But to actually be there and to be around family members to go through historical sites and to make a trip back to the village it was it 
kind of like revealed, it was like it revealed an, another part of myself, mm. like a, an identity that was hidden, you know, that I had yet, no, you know, I had not yet discovered. Um, it's just the little things like, so when I came, when we came, when my family came to the UK, it was just my mum and dad, but to be able to go back home and see my dad's brothers, my uncles and aunties who looked like my parents, it, it really made this concept of family even more real. Mm-hmm. And what I particularly, what I particularly liked is because I was able to maintain my Lingala, I didn't feel like an outsider. Mm, you know, I was wow. very much embraced by the culture and I was connected. Well, uh, JJ, you cannot say that you know Lingala, uh, you connect with Lingala and you're on the show. The only thing I hear coming out of your mouth is English. Well, I, I'm only being kind because there might be some non Lingala speakers. <laughs> well, we I'm can always that. definitely translate. Absolutely. <laughs> so to our listeners, uh, what we just did, um, uh, JJ was actually confirming that I can ask him question in Lingala, and then I told him that I believe you now. Um, but my question now is around the Congolese community in the UK, right? Because it's really refreshing to see that you know, because of the engagement of your parents, you kept the language. Uh, is this true for other young Congolese or other Congolese families in the UK uh, to still keep the language and the culture when we arrive to our homes, like you know, now you're living in the UK? Is that what is actually happening mm-hmm. in families in the, there? Unfortunately, it's it's not always the case, you know. It very much depends on the family, it depends on the parents and their focus on their their views in the world. There are a lot of parents who don't feel that Lingala is necessary. They don't feel that their children have to learn it. You know, sometimes they think that their children just have to learn English and French because that's what's going to benefit them in terms of getting jobs and being able to, you know, be educated and so on. So it is split. There, I do have a lot of friends who very much speak Lingala. And I think amongst the younger generation, it's, it's, speaking Lingala is becoming more and more um, kind of normalized. But it really does depend on the family. It's not as common for all young people, there are a lot of young people who don't speak Lingala mm-hmm. or any of our home languages. So, um, and I, I'm looking at your Twitter, uh, and I see that uh, with your Twitter handle, you change actually your name to African Renaissance. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your, your views on Pan-Africanism, and mainly also, I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts around uh, the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States, uh, with your engagement in the community in the UK. Okay, um, so yeah, in, in, in regard to uh, African Renaissance, that's uh, very much the idea that was brought forward by Sheikh Anta Diop, and how they kind of need to be 
a, a cultural reinvention, if you like, mm-hmm. um, of, of our arts, of our literature, uh, of our music, and how we need to carry these traditions forward and carry the historical, political, social ideas that we have into our arts and into our tra- uh, the ideas that we have of our traditions into our arts, into our music. So for me, in regards to African Renaissance, it's just I feel because a lot of my art, my own expression of art, has a very African focus, you know, in terms of identity, in terms of culture, in terms of experience, as well as humanity. Um, so I think that that's just my own kind of position and why I allow myself to that African Renaissance, because as much as we can be political and we can discuss capitalism, um, Western imperialism, neocolonialism, but I think our culture, which is really formed from our art, has such a big impact in the way we see the world. And so that's why I'm really passionate about arts and culture. In regards to Pan-Africanism, I think um, it's a very powerful tool um, that we can use for liberation in terms of um, our situation as a people, not just as Congolese people, but as um, African people, both on the continent and in the diaspora. We've seen how it's been used in, um, particularly through Kwame Nkrumah and uh, Gartner. And as well, even if you look at the Pan-African movement from the start of uh, Marcus Garvey or the first Pan-African conference that happened in London in the 1900s, you see that yes, Pan-Africanism yes. has been such a progressive revolutionary ideal for us as a people and it's something that I really connect to and even the ideals of Pan-Africanism you can see how it connects to the Black Lives Matter campaign and I think that's been very progressive in regards to uh, emphasizing the humanity of black people but I think for us the focus has to be black people in America but also black people around the world African descended people around the world and that our humanity is something that doesn't need to be validated, validate, validated by the mainstream, but our humanity exists through us. You know, so it's, it's a very positive step. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was thinking of you and how you mentioned going back to the Congo and uh, your whole trip and to bring it back to keeping Congo alive. How did your trip influence the work that you do now versus how you did it before? What are some things that you find yourself doing that maybe before going to the Congo, uh, you didn't really have it in you or something you picked up, that a spirit that woke up within you that said, you know what, these are things that I need mm-hmm. to speak more of. These are things that I need to talk more of. What are some things that you took from Congo? So one thing that going back home did was really expand my longevity in terms of art. When um, I was back home, I did a lot of writing and a lot of note-taking. Mm-hmm. And also, I listened to a lot of stories. So that's something that I'm planning to kind of bring forward in the years to come in regards to my own artistic expression. Um, interestingly, when I went back home, I saw a picture of myself when I was four years old. And uh, one of my uncles told me the story of that picture and so in that, in that picture, I'm four years old. I'm holding a microphone in church and speaking to people. And apparently I was telling the story. So I thought, 
that really links into what I'm doing now. And, you know, often how in our traditions, it says how we, we come into existence for a purpose and we're connected to a bigger purpose. And that just really established and reaffirmed what I believe to be true. So I think going back home, it connects you to a bigger purpose, bigger than your own existence, and it makes it more about the collective. Do you plan on going back anytime soon again? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I want to go back in December. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I'm planning to go back in December, and I've been tweeting about it a little bit um, to any uh, Congolese diaspora mm -hmm. who who have the means or who are able to um, to you know go go back home in December, and we can all kind of like collectively meet from wherever we come from in the diaspora to go back home, and then maybe make that a regular thing, you know, once a year where we all have, like the diaspora comes back as a community and, and connects with uh, our Congolese brothers and sisters at home. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent I idea. I, I might have to uh, consider that. Kambali, maybe you can join in on the trip. <laughs> But um, overall, no, I, wanted, great. <laughs> I wanted to continue a little bit uh, further with our discussion. But before we do, I wanted to take um, our last song break. And the name of the song is called Masua, meaning um, a boat, by Lutumba Samaro Mas Masia with TP, TP OK Jazz. Um, and we'll take a short break and we'll be right back.
And we're back here on Congo Live, and we want to remind our uh, listeners who want to participate in this conversation to call us at 410-481-1010. And for those who may have not gotten the number, it's 410-481-1010. And don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page on Congo Live. You were just listening to Masua. Uh, the name of the song is Masua, meaning boat. The song was um, sang in 1976 by Samaru Masia with OK Jazz. Um, speaking of back in the day, uh, when you think of back in the days, they had, you know, boats. They didn't have airplanes and so often. So a symbol of a um, long voyage and they're talking about the ports and the people and what comes with a journey where you have people who are crying and you have people who are missing family members as we talk about um keeping Congo alive in us. And for um, our guest, JJ Bola, who's on the phone, I wanted to ask you, how do you keep, um, do you feel poetry is a way to help people deal with loneliness and feelings of homesickness due to the pain of separation? Yeah, definitely. Um, For me, what poetry does is it takes you into a space where your imagination makes the, uh, whatever you are thinking real, it takes your memories and makes them real. So it really ignites this kind of deep feeling that you have with you, and whether that's poetry or storytelling or literature, you can go into that place. And in that place, it's alive. You know, your memories are alive, your feelings are alive, your emotions are alive. And that's why I think it's important for us to be able to tell our own stories because telling our stories about home, about Congo, it keeps it keeps us alive, essentially, and for the years to come. Absolutely, absolutely. And what are some of your favorite songs that you listen to that help you get through um, not even really get through, but just help you cope with being in a new area when you when you mentioned that your parents were listening to Congolese music as you were growing up. What are some of your favorites? Oh, so um, I, I guess my favorite contemporary musician is uh, Lokwa Kanza. Um, I love his music, and particularly Nakuzunga. That song speaks right to my heart. I often listen to that when I'm feeling nostalgic and... Uh, when I'm really missing home. But my favorite song growing up was Ebale uh, Yazair Lambo and OK Jazz. Uh, I can't even put into words how much I love that song. It, it, it's everything that's in my heart. For me, it's the most romantic, poetic song that I've ever listened to. And I will never stop liking that song. And it's, just, it's songs like that that really connects me to her. Wow. 
I mean, I think we will make sure to even get uh, Ibali Azair for our next playlist on future shows. Um, but now I want to touch on to, yes, so I want to touch on to your poem. Uh, there is a poem by you that I love that gives me chills, uh, just as you listen to other artists, I listen to your poetry. And that's the poem, uh, Tell Them, uh, where you're reminding people uh, that you, know, you have to know the names of those uh, we are, you are discussing when you are advocating. Uh, can you tell us more about you know, what inspired you, inspired you to write that poem? Uh, we posted it on our Facebook page. And um, how, how has been the response uh, in the UK as people listen to that po uh, poem, uh, tell them? So that, I think that poem really, like you said, it really touches people. Um, because often people connect to they they also connect to the tragedy, right? But not necessarily the people who it affects. So people will hear about war, and they will know that war is bad, and they'll hear about conflict, and they will know that conflict is bad, but they won't necessarily connect it to how the experience of war is bad for people. They weren't necessarily connected to how the experience of conflict is bad for people and how it affects people, and not just the people who experience it, but also the people around them, you know, the people who are thinking of those who are suffering in no circumstances but are far away from it. You know, I performed, I performed at a show yesterday um, where I read that poem, and I think it really emphasizes on humanizing the story. And once you humanize the story, what we come to discover is no matter the circumstance, right, whether it is in a, in a society that's relatively stable or in a society that's in war, essentially, as part of our humanity, we have the same experiences, experiences of falling in love, for instance, or going to school and trying to better our future through education. You know, so it's really about humanizing those experiences. Yes, yes, yes. So cultural reinvention is one of the themes that you mentioned when you spoke about Pan-Africanism. So let's take it to the future. July 13th, 2031, what do you see in the Congo? Right. So 2031? Yes. Right. That's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, ideally, uh, what I would like to see is a, is a stable and prosperous Congo that is able to be self-reliant, self-sufficient for the benefit of her people. And I really believe that particularly with how young our population is and how our population is becoming increasingly educated, particularly politically educated, and increasingly conscious and increasingly empowered, I think that come 2031, we really could have the stability that we've been fighting for for a long time. Well, mark it in your calendar. That's my 50th birthday. <laughs> Right. I, <laughs> well, I, hopefully we'll celebrate with, with, uh, for that reason. 
Hopefully we'll celebrate with some Kamundele, that's for sure. I look forward to going back oh, just for I that. I would love. You know what? Since <laughs> you said Kamundele, it has to happen. <laughs> Did you get a chance to go to the block in Bondal? Oh, every day. My my family, I was staying in Bandal. Wow, wow. That's uh, my where my grandmother's from. from. So, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we might be neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking of um, the meaning of poetry and how you define the words and what meaning it may have. And as you went to the Congo, you said that you were writing a lot about stories and your experience there. What do you hope for the new generation of Congolese who are in the diaspora to take from the work that you do to incorporate in their lives so that they can also have this proud feeling of being Congolese? What do you hope they take from your work? I, I hope that my work inspires them to also write. You know, I want young Congolese, both in Congo and in the diaspora, to to be empowered, to be empowered to tell their own story. You know, um, if you go on Google, for instance, and you type in books about Congo, right, there's a blog that comes up that says top 10 books about Congo, right? Mm-hmm. Not one of them is written by a Congolese. Wow. If you go to the images... And you see all the, the, there's a host of books that come up, right? Uh, in that images list, there's only one book that's by Congolese. And it's not to say that we don't have Congolese authors. There's a lot of Congolese authors. One of my favorite uh, Congolese writers is uh, uh, Professor uh, Lubanzadio, who writes about Congolese history and religion and tradition. And I've learned a lot from him. But it's for us as well as young people to tell our story and to be empowered in telling our story so that we don't need to let someone else dictate our narrative. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when you tell your own story, you create your own future or the kind of future that you'd like to live. Mm -hmm. And also you pass on ideas and traditions. And that's essentially, hopefully, how I want young people to connect to it so that they also can write their own stories. You know, just as much as we're inspired by singers and a young generation wants to be singers. Also, hopefully, I'm, I want to inspire a, a generation of Congolese writers so we can tell our story. Absolutely. And I, I, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today on Congo Live. It was really great talking to you and hearing and understanding your mind a little bit and regarding what you do. And um, we hope that you'll come back on Congo Live again. We, we, I love having you on the show because you really challenged the way that uh, I think... Um, but we look forward to having you again. And we want to thank... Thank you, thank you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Kambali, anything you want to say before we get off? I'm already just, you know, that that's a superstar we just had. Superstar. Uh, I'm uh, very appreciative uh, with JJ sharing, uh, the, especially sharing the importance of why we have to write our own stories uh, so that the world uh, can see us in a different light, but also to keep uh, the history for the generation to come. So thank you so much, mm-hmm. uh, JJ, yeah, for I making the time for us. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate that. And hopefully I'll get to connect with you guys in real life as well. And to any young Congolese that are listening, just be inspired and know that, that there is a great story that we connect to and there's a great future for each and every one of us.
Absolutely, absolutely. And we want to thank Lubangi Munyanya of Tabilulu Productions, of our Congo Live producer. We want to thank Sami Chimanga and Daniel Lin for running our social media. And we want to thank Shay for doing such a great job with the music. She's always on point and uh, always teaching me every single day. And we look forward to having our listeners listen to us next Saturday at 2 o'clock here in Baltimore on Congo Live. Thank you. Ateo, 